Hello there, this is Mark Bauerline with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains. The curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Austin Roos, who is the president of the Center for Family and Human Rights. Austin, thank you for joining us. It is my pleasure. All right, well, first tell our listeners, what does the center do? What's the background here? We started uh, CFAM. That's that's our, our, our official name, actually, is CFAM. And we started CFAM, gosh, in the summer of 1997, uh, after hundreds of people went to the Cairo conference in 94, hundreds more people went to the Beijing conference on, on women in uh, 2005, uh, uh, in uh, 90, uh, let me see, 94 was uh, Cairo on population, 95 was the women's conference in Beijing. And it became quite obvious that this work uh, goes on every single day at the UN. And therefore, there needed to be a permanent presence of laymen there at the UN advancing this cause. I mean, the left has been present at the UN on these issues for many years before our arrival. So uh, the then uh, nuncio, uh, Renato Martino, uh, said that there needed to be a full-time office. And we went and raised the money, and, and we did it. And we've been there at the UN every day since, 19, since the summer of 1997. And our principal work is assisting UN delegations in negotiating documents with a special eye toward blocking efforts to make an international right to abortion, uh, redefinitions of the family, you know, uh, advances in, uh, you know, uh, progressive understandings of uh, human sexuality. Um, And uh, we have participated in, golly, every major and probably most minor negotiations at the United Nations since that time. Our principal work is working very closely with UN delegations. We're in touch with, you know, a few dozen UN delegations uh, on, uh, you know, a weekly basis. Um, We offer very much something of a staffing function for a lot of these uh, undermanned uh, UN delegations who, uh, who, you know, come here. They don't, know all the intricacies of, of the language, all the nuances, all the tricks. And so we have a long institutional memory of these things and, and we assist them actively when documents are under negotiation. And then the, the, the other side, the other thing that we do is, um, is we tell the world what, what really goes on. So we have a, a regular email list of about 300,000 readers in four languages around the world. And we publish a weekly report called the Friday Facts. And we do interviews like this. You know, uh, what, what you mentioned about, you, you've been with the UN every day. You point out, though, it's clear from the, the reports that you issue, and uh, the weekly updates on your website, 
that on issues of abortion and sexuality and family, that not just the UN, but other international organizations really are led, directed by a steady progressivist orientation on those organizations. First of all, let, let me ask a, a big question, and then we'll get to your, your more direct experience with those left-wing oriented leaders. But why do international organizations mostly, at least the most prominent ones, seem to be in the hands of progressives on these issues? Uh, you know, uh, I, I think because it was uh, t two reasons. Uh, first of all, it was easy to do. Uh, because it was, uh, you know, it, it was uh, pushing on an open door. Uh, secondly, uh, because conservatives are have always been suspicious of international organizations and therefore have not been involved. Um, you know, we're more interested in what happens with our within our own borders. The the threat. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember collecting for UNICEF uh, around uh, Halloween. And uh, having some people say, oh, it's a communist organization. And, and boy, didn't we have a fun time laughing at them. But they were right. Uh, you know, it was like the, all those nuts who said no were, were right. And we've written reports about how UNICEF has gone off the rails. But it's mostly that. Um, and, and then lastly, the reason is, is because these people cannot achieve what they want to in their own countries. And so they devised a strategy where they would go to international institutions and try to create um, uh, international law that would then be imposed on their countries. And, and they've gone a long way toward that, um, in, in both in, in hard law treaties um, and also in what's known as is soft law, customary international law, um, which, which is arrived at uh, in, in a more sneaky fashion. But yeah, conservatives have not been much interested. I mean, we've been doing this now for 23 years, 24 years. And one of our big challenges is getting other conservative organizations to give two hoots about what happens at the UN. Americans tend to care about the United Nations only insofar as the Security Council does anything. Uh, and that's kind of it. So on, on these soft law issues, at places like the UN Economic and Social Council. Most people have no idea that such a thing exists. Um, th this is where these types of issues are aired out and, and debated. And uh, so most people just simply do not care. You've been able, when you said that you are participating in every move that on, on these issues at least that takes place at the UN, I, I that's, that's quite impressive, given the progressivist orientation. Has, has it been hard to, to be a participant? It, it has. Um, but uh, let, me, let me just say this. There has been a, a, a strong body of people within, within the bureaucracy who have been very unhappy that we are there um, and have worked hard to keep us out. Um, there are member states who are very unhappy that we and others like us uh, are there, and they've worked hard to keep us out. But we have actually quite a lot of friends, especially in the General Assembly. And, and that's, that's really the saving grace, is that there are African countries who welcome our assistance, some Asian countries, Central American countries who welcome our assistance, um, even some European countries who have been helpful here and there, Hungary, Poland, although they generally get subsumed into the single negotiating position of the European Union. But we have always been able to cobble together enough countries to block 
an international right to abortion. There's no international right to abortion, uh, very much because of the work of, uh, of, of this small band of governments and non-governmental organizations who have been able to get enough countries to stand up and say no, that it's, it's been effective. I mean, the family's never been, the family's never been redefined. Abortion is not a part of, you know, international law. Uh, Same-sex marriage is, is light years away from any kind of acceptance at the, at, at the UN General Assembly. So all in all, it's been hard, but we've always, the UN works by consensus on most of these things. And, it's, and it, that's a sliding kind of scale. You know, back in the old days, um, two or three countries who objected to a particular kind of language uh, were generally enough to have something blocked. And now it's 50 or 60 or 70 countries uh, that need to stand up and say no. And sometimes that doesn't even work. For the most part, we've been successful in putting together large enough coalitions of member states to say no, and it's been effective. I imagine that those countries that support you, the people do, because of their own experience, seeing that, let's say, among the poor, is there anything that stabilizes a, uh, a poor child's life more than a traditional two-parent family? Well, and, and this is one of the things that we, that we really talk about quite a bit is, is we point to the disintegration of the American family, especially in the black community, and, and all the pathologies that flow from that. And, and, we, and we say, you know, this is what the Obama administration and UN bureaucrats and the European Union want for your country. Um, and so th they, they absolutely see that. They absolutely see that. Or, I, well, I'd add another one. Is, is there anything better for a poor teenage girl than an ethic of chastity? I mean, you know, you, you, you and I certainly agree on all of that. And, and we talk about that, too. I mean, you know, and one of the funny things about what comes out of the U.N. is the most vulgar pornographic kind of sex ed um, you can imagine, you know, there, there's an effort that, that's now many years old uh, to incorporate what's known as comprehensive sexuality education um, in UN documents. And we've been fighting it tooth and nail now for many, many years. And, and, and that's all the nasty stuff. I mean, and my wife works on this at, at the local level here in, in Fairfax County, Virginia. And, you know, they were a little bit of a our, our, our local public schools or something of a, a of a lab experiment on all of this stuff because you know they're, they're teaching you know kids at, at the youngest ages all sorts of vile stuff um, which I, I'm not going to share with your listeners but uh, but yeah th this very much comes um, uh, from the United Nations from the World Health Organization from from the panoply of, of alphabet uh, organizations who are just pushing the most radical form of human sexuality that you can imagine. Does it make a big difference in these inter international organizations uh, which kind of administration is in the White House? Well, you know, um, we have now been active in uh, since 1997, so we've had both. You know, uh, uh, of course, when the when the United States is radical, and it certainly was during the Clinton years, and and even more so during the Obama years. I mean, it makes it makes a difference. Um, I, I I have to say that the Trump administration has been much better than the than than the Bush administration. The Bush administration was actually quite timid on these things. 
Um, and they sacrificed an awful lot of their credibility and, and political capital on the, on the war in Iraq. So frequently on these issues, the U.S. was completely isolated. Even uh, if a Muslim state, um, if the U.S. had a particular initiative, the Muslims would not stand with them, even if they agreed because of uh, the, the war in the Middle East. So uh, and plus they were timid, you know, intrinsically timid on these issues. So uh, the, the, the Trump administration is doing things that the Bush administration never even thought of. But let me give you a, an example. The left cannot win a straight up and down vote at the United Nations on a, a right to abortion. So for many years, they, they, they going back a quarter century, they have been using this, this, uh, this phrase reproductive health and reproductive rights. And they have worked very hard to get it into hundreds of documents. And then, then they spin that to say, well, you know, that means that there's an international right to abortion because it's been mentioned so many times in non-binding UN resolutions. There's the customary international right to abortion. Um, so th this has been a huge debate at the international level. Well, the Trump administration, and this was hard to do, but the Trump administration has a now has a negotiating policy that when reproductive health comes up in a UN document, uh, the first line is that they have to delete it. If, if they cannot delete it, then they have to replace it with something else. And if they can't replace it with something else like maternal health, uh, they have to define it as excluding abortion. This was a huge fight, but the Trump administration has taken that, has has taken that position. So the Trump administration has been very aggressive in, in uh, fighting the sexual left at the UN. Austin? Who in the world would have imagined five years ago that Donald Trump would <laughs> would would be leading a charge on at the UN on these matters? Big surprise. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's very. I I just uh, today finished the galleys of my next book uh, called The Catholic Case for Trump, which is coming out in August from Regnery, and I wrote quite a bit about this. And 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 I remember. I mean. My, my wife and I were Cruz supporters, and uh, w uh, you know when when Cruz finally dropped out, we effortlessly switched over to Trump. And my feeling at that time was, yes, he doesn't have any particular kind of record. I mean, he's got a spotty record on the life issues, uh, to say the least. But what I thought at the time was that he didn't give two hoots about the issue either way either being pro-life or pro-choice. It was something that never even entered his mind because he's been involved in so many other things. So that's one part of it. The second part of it is that he also did not give two hoots about what the New York Times and the Washington Post and, and other elite centers think of him. Therefore, he would do what those who brung him want him to do. And, and, and the pro-life coalition was very important to him. Now, you take all that together with like a Bush or a Romney or a McCain or whatever, and they do care about what the Washington Post and the New York Times think. And the people around them care about those things. So, and they had other priorities. And so they, they, they would have naturally thrown us under the bus when Trump didn't care about the New York Times approving of him. Therefore, I, I, I was cautiously optimistic that he would do what we want, even if he didn't care about it. Now, subsequently, I, I think that he's come around to a stronger position uh, uh, sort of agreeing with us. But I mean, quite frankly, I'm indifferent to his, to his intentions or his motivations, as long as he does the right thing. Yeah, well, that, that should be a formula with all politicians, right? Yeah. 
we're not interested. We're not. We're not interested in, in in lovely words at this point. Um, let's let's see uh, uh, the beef. Anyway, in, in general, do you see that these nationalist populist movements in the United States and abroad uh, are th are those things generally pro family? Uh, I don't think so. No, you know, um, you know, you, you look at you know somebody like the like Marie Le Pen and that whole crew, uh, the, you know, they're fully in favor of abortion. They're fully in favor of, of the same sex agenda. And I, I suspect other, other groupings like that uh, are the same way. But then you look at somebody like Yoram Hazoni, who I, I, I admire intensely, completely with us on the social issues. So it, it depends on where you go. I mean, I mean, European European conservatives are so not like American conservatives. You know, you get together with a bunch of European conservatives, and and they they inevitably begin complaining uh, about the fact that they can't get any money from the European Union. Um, and it, it, a conversation which would be completely foreign to an American, a group of American conservatives sitting around bitching about not being able to get any money from HHS. It's just not on our radar screen. Uh, but but, you know, and, and, and they think we're crazy on guns and and, and yeah, so it, it's it's a very different group um, over there than than it is over here. Having said that, I, I, I am very sympathetic to the nationalist populist movements, even if they are not necessarily uh, with us on on the social issues, because I think that national sovereignty is uh, is is incredibly important, and and uh, and and one of the things that we see chipped away by the United Nations and 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 others. Um, yeah, so I, I I'm encouraged. I loved uh, Yoram's conference uh, last year. I uh, look forward to going to the next one. Um, yeah, and he's and like I said, he he himself is with us all the way. You know, I, I went to that conference and I was I was looking around for for other social conservatives, and then there, there honestly there there weren't very many. And in terms of social conservatives who spoke, I mean explicitly about social conservative issues, I think the only one was 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 Mary Eberstadt. Uh, so th th there is work to be done there. Yeah, yeah. Um, the world you mentioned the World Health Organization. Which has been in the news a lot with the with the pandemic and with the the Trump administration's conflicts with the World Health Organization is the WHO really ideologically along the same lines as the UN? Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, we have written about we have followed the work of the World Health Organization now for many many years. Uh, one of our close advisors, uh, 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 Pino Benigiano, uh, an Italian was the longtime head of the reproductive health program at the World Health Organization. He is not with us on the issues, except uh, on, on the issue of an international right to abortion. He said that it does not exist. But the World Health Organization has, has been a part of the drumbeat for uh, a global right to abortion for, for many, many years. Um, and uh, it has it only picked up speed. We, uh, we, we've written major papers about the World Health Organization you know, going back more than a decade. We recently wrote, a, wrote another one in pushing the uh, Trump administration to defund totally um, and it appears that they are headed in that direction. So yeah, the World Health Organization has been a very serious problem. Every major UN agency is, has been a very serious problem. UNICEF, for instance, has, has participated in the promotion uh, of, of abortion. Um, I mean, UNICEF has gone radical feminist now 15 years ago. Um, so yeah, every part of the United Nations, except small parts of the General Assembly, have gone radical feminist, uh, uh, sexual revolutionaries. So yeah, that's what we're up against. Well, 
how do you distinguish, or may, maybe we're beyond the point where we have to distinguish between the the scientific work the World Health Organization does, let's say with with uh, combating malaria or, or or whatever. How do you distinguish that work from the let's just say the 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 sexual revolutionary work? We we can't distinguish. We are at the point now. We just have to, no. We're going to defund you. We understand you do good scientific work, but we cannot support the sexual revolutionary work here. Is this where we're at now? I, I think so. And, and one thing that we as Americans have to understand is that, is that we do not need to funnel our money through international organizations to do good in these areas around the world. We can make huge uh, bilateral donations. Heck, we can create new organizations, although I'm generally against that because they almost inevitably go bad. But, but the United States does not need to funnel our money into these massive bureaucracies um, in New York and Geneva. We just don't have to, to have, to have an effect. I, I just have a quick question. <laughs> Austin, what are the salaries of the leaders of these organizations? Oh, you caught me flat-footed. I actually don't know. <laughs> but, 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 uh, but they live well, don't they? They travel well, don't they? Well, sure. You know, I'm I'm quite sure that they they have uh, huge salaries. You know, and and you know, the, they're running organizations which are you know multi billion dollar organizations. So it 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 honestly makes sense that they that, that they have big salaries. Uh, but but yeah, I'm sure quite sure that they're lovely and and big. Yeah. Well, you you've actually done a few papers exposing some of the corruption and uh, duplicity of of some of these organizations. Um, that that is very but that people can see on your website. Let me let me ask you a a different kind of question about CFAM. The good old Southern Poverty Law Center listed you as one of a number of hate groups. Yeah. How how <laughs> how do you respond to that? Well, it's it's been frustrating. Um, we got on their list initially because we offered legal advice to the government of Belize on whether they had an obligation under international law to uh, to criminalize or decriminalize, rather, whether they had an obligation under international law to decriminalize sodomy. Um, and our legal advice then as now is that international law is silent on the question of sodomy. And therefore, the government is, uh, believes is free to do what they think that they ought to do. Um, so just for offering legal advice, on treaty obligations, we were placed on the hate list now many, many years ago. You know, and 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 we have generally, I mean, we've gotten much worse since then. I mean, I mean, we we oppose uh, the introduction of sexual orientation and gender identity as a new category of non-discrimination in international law, you know, and 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 all that. Um, and it's it's been hurtful to us um, in in small ways. For instance, uh, Facebook, no, not Facebook, but Amazon will not let CFAM become a part of their uh, Amazon Smile uh, program because we're on the hate list. Uh, Fidelity, uh, the Fidelity uh, donor donor fund. We were told by one of our donors who uses Fidelity that um, that Fidelity let them know that we were on the hate list and therefore they would no longer hide the identity of CFAM donors who use Fidelity. 
Um, and that's because we're on the hate list. And, and you know, it, it's like I, I, gave a, I gave a lecture at Catholic University a couple of years ago in, a, I think, a political science class. And, and the very first question I got from some snot-nosed kid was, how, how, uh, you know, how do you like being on the Southern Poverty? And he meant this pejoratively on, on, the Southern, on the hate list for the Southern Poverty Law Center. And the purpose of the blacklist is precisely so that kid could ask that question. Um, it's, it's a scarlet A uh, that, w- that we just can't get rid of. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was asked to do an interview at the Washington Post. And, uh, and this at the time, we were always in news articles, always listed as designated by the Southern, uh, as a hate list, uh, by, uh, as a hate, or, hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, almost like there's a, a keystroke on the, on the computer. Um, and I said, to the, I said to the reporter, I said, I'm happy to talk to you as long as I have your assurance that you will not identify as that way. And he said, I cannot guarantee that. I said, then I'm not going to talk to you. And, and what I look forward to is, is uh, as I said to the Fidelity people, do your own work. Go to my website, go to c-fam.org and look at our website and you tell me if we qualify as a hate group. Uh, but they never do. They rely on the Southern Poverty Law Center. So it's, 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 uh, it's a little bit of a disappointment. Although last year there were major stories on us at, at Reuters and also the Financial Times of London in talking about our influence in, uh, with the Trump administration with regard to ongoing negotiations. And neither one of them mentioned that. So... You know, I actually brought it up for for that reason, because I don't think that the does, does the Southern Poverty Law, or, Law Center have have any credibility anymore. I mean, there are even liberals, liberal journalists who've written about the center and the corruption that goes on at the center, the money that they have got and the smear tactics that they have. I'm not sure that that designation harms you. At this point, I, I, I think it may be actually when we when we wait it, it, it may be a positive in that it shows that you're principled and it, it also indicates that you may be doing some good work. Well, there is that. And, 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 and we're and, and I agree with you. But having said that, I, I have said some intemperate things in my online fundraising, which come which has come back to bite us. Um, uh, so th- th- that has hurt, you know, but, and the, but, the, you know, as you say, there's good news on the Southern Poverty Law Center front. You know, um, the Army has stopped using them. I think the FBI has taken them off their website. Gosh, two years ago, there, there's uh, there's this uh, website called GuideStar. Um, which um, is is a site that tracks uh, the organizations and their tax filings. And you can go on there and any 501c3, any nonprofit, you can look up their tax filings and find out who's on the board and and how much their top people make and all that kind of stuff. And so GuideStar two years ago started flagging groups on, uh, on, on their website that were listed by SPLC. And there was a big backlash. A lot of people got involved and 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 pounced on GuideStar like uh, with a ton of bricks. And GuideStar backed off, and they no they they stopped doing it. It lasted about a month, and they stopped, and they've never gone back to doing it because I think that they realized, hey, you know what, this is not our fight. Right. Well, and I, and I think that conservatives should 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 take this on directly. Don't not don't don't run away from it. Say say look. This is this is a, this is a, a rich and powerful organization, and let's let's show what they're what they're really about, and not uh, we're not we're not going to back off on that. Uh, 
Awesome. Let me let me ask you um, back to politics here. How how would you as CFAM dealt with a Hillary Clinton administration? Does CFAM do monitoring of the federal government on these issues? Oh yeah, we have we have an office in New York and one in Washington D.C. So so we look closely at these things, no matter who's in office. Um, so yeah, we we went toe to toe, head to head with the with the Clinton administration, with the Obama administration. Uh, I mean, they are just another delegation, um, like any other. Um, you know, whether who who's in or who's out. Um, I mean, let, let me get, let me give you a great example uh, of of something that's going on with the Trump administration. You know, Trump has a mixed record on LGBT questions, and and, and included in the mix is uh, is Rick Grinnell, who uh, has been U.S. ambassador to Germany and for a short time, as you know, is the head of uh, the intelligence community. And Rick is an old friend of mine. We we worked very closely with him. Uh, through uh, the Bush years, where he was the spokesman uh, f- uh, at USUN, and he was always very helpful to uh, to us on on the life issues. And I came to his defense when he was named uh, foreign policy spokesman for for Romney, and came under attack from Family Research Council uh, because he's gay. Because um, uh, he's always been very fair, and I like the guy. Uh, he he now has the approval of the president uh, to run this global campaign to decriminalize sodomy. Um, and if you're talking about putting homosexuals to death for for homosexual behavior, of course we we all oppose that. But but he also wants to strike down any law that may regulate sexual behavior. So we part company uh, on that. Um, so there's the Trump administration with, with a mixed bag. What we discovered recently was th- there's this thing, and I'm going to get deep in the weeds for 30 seconds. There's something called the Universal Periodic Review, which is a fairly new uh, program of the UN Human Rights Council. And the um, periodic, Universal Periodic Review is where governments sit around and, and criticize each other on established human rights. Uh, generally, the, the, the process is that governments are criticized by UN committees. This puts governments in a room criticizing each other on established human rights. Well, um, under the under the Obama administration, uh, the government, uh, the, the U.S. government, started criticizing other governments on on uh, on sexual orientation, and gender identity. Sexual orientation, and gender identity, is not a part of international law anywhere. Full stop. Not even in non-binding resolutions does it appear. So, so fine, they, they were doing that under the Obama administration. It kept going under the Trump administration. It is going to this day. So the US is telling governments that they are in violation of international law in regulating sexual orientation and gender identity the wrong way. And this is, this is simply false. So, so even here, um, we have to criticize uh, the Trump administration that otherwise is doing a good job in many other areas. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it helps to have somebody like the Trump administration in, but it's not a guarantee. Austin Ruse, thank you for joining us and filling us in on what's going on at CFAM. It has been my pleasure. I'm, I look forward to talking with you for a long time. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.